Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Ruth chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. Let's just read the verse 20. One, three. One, two, three. Go. Yeah. Amen. I want you to look at somebody beside you and say, neighbor, the Lord has not forgotten you. Say it to him one more time. Say, the Lord has not forgotten about you. Look at somebody else and say, neighbor, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. But I'm going to just let you know that the Lord has not forgotten about you. How many of y'all know that's good news? That's good news. That's good news. Let's go before the God of Heaven. Father, we thank you and celebrate the fact that we're not forgotten. No matter what we're dealing with, God, we can feel abandoned. But feelings although valid, don't reflect the reality of who you are in our lives. And so, God, reaffirm and encourage somebody today with that reality. And somebody say, well, I don't need that today. Well, Lord, we know that you can keep on living. Tell them to pack it up, God, and put it away for later because you're going to need it. 
Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we thank you. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. There is a famous song. I won't sing it today. Uh, maybe a little bit of it. <laughs> From 1970, by the Five Footsteps. Now, only a few people know the group, but they know the song. It's called, Ooh, child, things are going to get easy. Go ahead. There it is. There it is. There it is. Someday. That song just make you feel good, don't it? You ever been at a cookout and that joke came on and you just got up? That's when you know your song. It used to go like that. You understand what I'm saying? All my white siblings, we do crazy stuff at black cookouts. We're going to invite y'all over so y'all can get the full-bodied experience of cookout ministry. You know, uh, there is a designated DJ without a turntable at every black cookout. Um, and they are, they're just certain songs that's just going to get played. And that is one of those songs. And that song was birthed out of the optimism of an age filled with pessimism. Um, it, it was birthed out of that reality because uh, there was a lot going on that we had just gotten through sort of the civil rights movement and we were still hung in the black power era and there was still a lot of racism, injustice, poverty, inner cities were at its height. We were at the post-acid era. We were deep in the heroin era. And so people everywhere of every color were dealing with a lot of things and, 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 and the five footsteps decided that they were going to put out a song of optimism versus pessimism. Somebody say optimism. optimism. Somebody say pessimism. <clears throat> now, now I don't know if you I don't know if you know anybody like this, but there are half, uh, uh, there are glass half empty people, and there are glass half full people. Now, be honest with me today. How many of you are, are, are glass half empty people? You tend to be on the pessimism side, doubting. Y'all being some of y'all lying like a. Come on, y'all. Come on now. Come on, y'all. You 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 tend to be. You, you tend to be sort, like, to be honest, you're a little negative. <laughs> now, now, the good thing about pessimistic people, though, at times, is they're realistic and don't deny the reality that something's wrong. Amen, somebody. So, 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 so that's, that's one side of the question. Then we got the optimistic people. No matter what happens, no matter how much hell break loose, they got some type of optimism that makes the pessimistic people mad because they're so positive. How many of you are optimistic people? How many of y'all are optimistic people? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Good thing about optimistic people, a good thing, they both have their, their strengths. Um, um, opt a, a good thing about optimistic people is they don't let difficulty have the last answer. And I think we need a bit of both. I'm looking at this text today that we're in, and we see God transitioning Naomi from pessimistic, negative pessimistic, we got to define that, to positive optimistic. 
And you can, it's beautiful to see someone who's bitter, angry, frustrated, to get to some things happening in their life where God begins to pick up the pace of their soul. You ever been in a situation where you needed God to transition you out of it? How I many you ever been in a place of unhealth where you knew your soul disposition was raggedy? And you, and you knew that you could hear yourself just being trifling verbally. You could hear yourself being trifling mentally. You even got into some stuff that you had no business getting into, and you felt trapped in it. Know what I like about that is God sees you in that condition, doesn't leave you in that condition, but he's willing to rescue you from that condition. And so when we come to this passage and we look at this idea of what's going on, we see that God gives and shines a glimmer of hope. It's beautiful because he doesn't provide the, 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 the outcome of it yet. Yet the, the, a picture or an inkling of hope can change a broken spirit. Let me say that again because somebody didn't hear me. An inkling of hope can change a broken spirit. So, uh, 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 which brings me to my first point. If you're going to know that the Lord has not forgotten you, number one, you got to know that God treats us in ways we don't deserve. God treats us in ways we don't deserve. Look at the text. Um, Naomi, uh, Ruth says, my Lord, she said, I have found favor in your sight. I like this right here of her saying that. She, usually in the Bible, it says, if I have found favor in your sight. But here she affirms that it's going to be on an if to a, it's a definitive reality of favor. And, and, and in her saying this, uh, that means that in the process of this, she's experiencing answered prayer. Well, what has happened, if you remember from chapter one, I mean, earlier in chapter two, she, she, she said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go into the fields and I'm going to glean and I'm looking for favor. Somebody say favor. Sometimes when you're dealing with a difficult situation, you have to get up, wash your face, get yourself together and go out expecting God to do something. You, 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 listen, you can't stay in the same place without expectations of God. You can't let your feelings dictate your, uh, 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 your, your, your expectations. You can't let your frustrations dictate your expectations. Sometimes, every now and then, when the grieving is gone, when the brokenness has got to the point where it's now time to stand up because there should be an expiration date on the way you were feeling, and you got to say, I am going to let this expire right now so that I can move forward in what God wants me to do what God wants me to be I can't see it right now I don't even feel like it right now but I serve a God who's good I serve a God who's mighty and I'm looking for favor <laughs> listen 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 I'm I'm looking listen no, no, let's let's translate that I'm looking for God to give me what I don't deserve oh, y'all don't know when to shout see that was the shouting moment right there <clears throat> she, she basically said, I'm looking for God to do for me more than my character has value for. I, in other words, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to give me what I haven't lived right enough to get from him. Help me today. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know it or not, 
But no matter how good your little big head self is, you've never earned anything from God. Ne ne you've never earned anything from God. No, see, some of us think we're on a good day and we deserve something from God. Matter of fact, Ruth, after going through all of this, could have been like, yo, what's up, God? I mean, you done brought some hot trials on your sister. You understand what I'm saying? I done left my family. You understand what I'm saying? I done lost my husband, my father-in-law. We broke in the mug, God. She could have went at God like that and said, I at least deserve, since I left, clung to this widow for you to give a sister some bread or something. She didn't come off like that. She came off knowing that her sacrifices still wasn't enough to gain God's favor. That is a hard nut to crack when we realize that when we make sacrifices, it should just be because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> but then when you're asking for favor, you don't necessarily bring up what you did. As a way to broker, a you, you, listen, you can't bring, you can't, listen, you can't make a transaction with God that's going to equal what he's going to do for you. So, so you got to be like, God, I know I got this little reasonable sacrifice right here, God. But God, I, I need you. She, she's basically like, I'm going out here and I'm trusting God to do for me what my character, my work, my lifestyle could never do for me without him. <laughs> and so she gets here and she says, I found favor. She said, I, I found, she, and in other words, it's almost like she's laughing. It's like, God, you did that thing. You ever had, you ever prayed for something? <laughs> God bring it to pass and the Holy Ghost bring it back to your remembrance, what you was praying, and right in front of your face it's coming to pass, and you don't even know how to celebrate with your crazy stuff. You know, he said, I found faith. I have found faith. But she didn't know. Boaz didn't know that she wasn't necessarily talking to him. She was talking to him. Oh, y'all oh, missed that. Sometimes you may be talking to that person and they think you're talking to them, but really the person who's a conduit for what God has given you is really a means to ramp up roller coaster thanksgiving to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for bringing that thing through the conduit that's right in front of you. <laughs> she said, I found favor. <laughs> I found favor. And she says, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant. This is, this is a lot. This is a lot. Um, the idea of comfort here is pretty interesting um, because what she finds, let's go back to favor for a second. Before we go to comforted and encouraged, the favor that Ruth got wasn't just for her. <laughs> the favor that she was seeking was for her and Naomi. Now, I know y'all ain't gonna shout because y'all don't like to share nothing, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Favor that she was seeking was for not just her, but somebody else. God never gives favor without distributive responsibility. Help me, God. Favor is to make you responsible for giving it away and not just keeping it to yourself. 
Uh, uh, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth understood that. And in other, in other words, in our society, because we're so individualistic, we tend to think more individual about what God gives me. What See, we got stuff like this. What God has for me is for me. I'm going to snatch my blessing down. It's just all this individualistic, uh, 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 triumphalistic me-isms. Yet in a communal tribal culture, you couldn't afford to just look out for you because you know that everything is interconnected. And when everything is interconnected, you think about not just yourself, but how it affects others. <laughs> That's what we need more of in our society here. We need more people that think more about what they can do for others versus what God can just do for you and me and my own. Because listen, whenever you sow into somebody else's life, you always get back more than what you put out. Help me today. Now, some of y'all scared because we about to take an offering. Just calm down. We ain't that church. All I'm trying to let you know today is this. I see some of y'all, uh-oh, he's setting it up. I've been here before. He about to say, come up if you want your favorite blessing, come up. That's not what I'm talking about. We'll have a time to give next Sunday, which is the same time that we give every Sunday. But I'm just telling you right now that favor is broader than you. How are you leveraging your education for somebody else? And thinking about it, we have an, I love millennials because you are the most entrepreneurial uh, generation. You're not a get a job generation. You, I want to, y'all not to get a job. I'm not, no, no, I don't mean it like that. Don't, I'm not saying y'all don't want no jobs. There's a lot of wise, educated people in here. I'm saying this generation is, is sort of the Dame Dash, I want to be my own boss generation. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. When you think of being your own boss, are you thinking about it financially? Notoriety or impact? Do you only think what you can create for yourself or what you can create for others? Listen, listen, listen. God always asks, what do I get out the deal? Y'all ain't going to talk back to me this morning. It's okay. Uh, and so, because this is so Christ-centered. Christ leveraged his life for us. Leveraged it. Being in Christ, I mean, Jesus Christ leveraged his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He knew that he would get a name above every name. He knew that he'd be exalted uh, 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 above the highest. He knew all of that. Yet, he didn't. Matter of fact, you rarely heard him talk about what he gets out of the resurrection. I'm by myself. You mostly heard him talk about the impact of what his life and death was going to do for other people. Listen. The, the more selfless you are in your heart before God gives you a breakthrough in favor, the, the more, because people can feel when stuff's about you. <laughs> when something's about you, it's a turn off. <laughs> when, when stuff's about somebody else, listen, Boaz is going to tell her the reason why. She said, why, do you, why, why are you doing all of this? We'll talk about that in a second. But he's comforted. She, she, she's, comf she's been comforted, right? Look up in verse 11. It says, Boaz answered her because she said in verse 10, she said, why have, why have I found favor with you? Look at what he says. He says, he says, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband 
husband's death have been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you. Listen, he saw God's grace and favor on her because her life wasn't about her. It was about others. Comfort. She said, you, she said this rocks her mind. And you have to understand that she didn't move forward without brokenness. This is very, very key. You hear it in these two words. She wasn't this triumphalistic person that act like nothing was affecting her. She moved forward believing God that in spite of what was affecting her, he was going to do something. And look at what it says. It says, she says, you have comforted and encouraged your servant. I can spend the rest of the sermon just on this, but I can't. Comfort here means to alleviate sorrow. Do you know that while she was sowing in the field, she was feeling sorrow? Do you know why she was gleaning? She was hurting and in pain. Listen, you will never feel good enough in a difficult situation to seek favor. There's a lot you have to do despite how you feel. I'm just telling you right now, if you're waiting for life to shift your feelings for you to be effective in honoring God, it's never going to happen. As a matter of fact, God gets the most glory when you move forward despite how you're feeling, despite your brokenness, despite your frustration, despite how much anger and bitterness and frustration you got in your life. And most of the time, comfort meets you on the journey, not before you go on the journey. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. Moving forward is therapeutic. Uh, this is right in the text. It, it, she said, oh my God, <laughs> you have comforted me. Uh, uh, the, the lexical form of this, which means its original form, means to breathe deeply. That's what it means. It means to just go. <sighs> that, that's what the word means in, in its form. And it points to the fact that she was nervous and maybe even fearful, although she was willing to move ahead to seek favor for herself and for others. And when you realize this reality of what she's going through and her going to unfamiliar territory, having to walk out of the city into unfamiliar territory, into a place nobody knew her. She had to move in a place where nobody knew her, go into a field where nobody knew her and put herself in harm's way. But she was trusting God to do only what he can do. Ah, oh, somebody write that down. You have to trust God for what he can only do. That, that is important because in our lives, you can't make decisions based on what you can do. I can stay on this all day. Listen, if you make decisions based on what you can do, you'll never do nothing. Or you will take on stuff that wasn't meant for you to take on. Oh, God, help me. In other words, when you trust God for only what he can do, that's what she was doing. Trusting him for only what he can do, that means that she can expect more than what her work can accomplish. <laughs> um, and since Yahweh is now her God, because he's her God now, this is a Gentile woman. She said, my God is your God. You know, your, your God is my God. So, now, so she's trusting him for what he does for her in covenant. So this is crazy. 
This is how crazy Ruth is. She's a crazy woman. She is a Gentile attaching herself to a Jew or a Hebrew or an Israelite, attaching herself to and expecting God to equally covenantally pour into her equally what God will pour into a person that he's covenantally drafted in. I love that. It's so many New Testament principles in that. It's beautiful that God will step over some stuff to bless you. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I, 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 I can't. Oh, God, help me. Uh, it's interesting in, in this process, in being comforted and experiencing this alleviation, is that she doesn't try to manipulate the process. See, sometimes when you want God to do something and you don't feel like he's doing what you asked him for, fast enough, you'll try to manipulate the process. Oh, and I know ain't nobody going to say amen on that part. You have to be willing to, you, you, want, you want to be able to walk through something and it just be God. When you start trying to fix and position and jockey yourself, it, it, let me just tell you something, it never works out for God's glory, it only works out for your pride. And so you have to begin, to, you, you have to work hard, push forward, move forward, but then like expect like God, like I'm out here, like I'm crazy enough to expect you're going to do something. But she didn't, not only that, I got to move. Not only that, she said, you have not only comforted me, but you have encouraged me. You have encouraged me. Um, this idea of Encouraged means to speak to someone's heart. He's not being flirtatious at this point. In other words, the way he has encouraged her and engaged her and God meeting her on the journey in this way is it shifted her heart. Now, in God shifting her heart, God can use her to shift Naomi's heart. Let me say that one more time. In God shifting, you can't expect change in someone else until you've experienced change in you. Many of us expect change in other people's lives because of how their lack of transformation affects us. When God is looking at you like, you got the same doggone thing all up in your situation. You understand what I'm saying? You, you need to be changed, and then maybe I will, I will like cross-pollinate some osmiotic change on them. Through you. I made that up, but it just worked, right? Osmosis, osmiotic, that should be a word. It just sounds scientific. And she said, it, it, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like, as she says, you've, I, you know, I found favor. You've confronted me and you've encouraged me. It's as if she's telling herself or asking God, am I on the right track or I think I'm on the right track. You ever ask God, and he started to do some little stuff, I said, don't, don't play with my feelings, God. You know I've been praying. Don't play with me right now. God, don't play with me right now. Are, are you finna blow, blow things up? Are you finna blow? Listen, you ever felt, you ever sensed a shift? And, and you was like, God, is this it? Is this it? I, I feel like that's what's going on with her as, as she's talking about being confident and encouraged in the word to move forward. But, but oh, God, I, it's too much in this text. She says, <coughs> you have encouraged, you have encouraged and comforted your servant. Say your servant. Your servant. 
this, this, is, this is crazy. What she says here is the lowest level servant word that you can use in the Old Testament. She, she's saying this because she's affirming that what she is experiencing should not be happening. This is not like some Bible chauvinism towards women. That's not what this is. What it is is a woman affirming she knows her normal place that she would be in society as a widow and as a Gentile in Israel. And she acknowledges in herself as she gets starting to get blessed and experiencing God's favor is she lets him know, herself know, and affirming ultimately to God that this really isn't happening because of me. Sometimes you have to slap yourself in the face and let yourself know that this ain't happening because of you. And when that happens in your life, it's a beautiful thing for you to let yourself know that it's God's gracious work. So she isn't submitting, again, to some type of male chauvinism. She's communicating to Boaz that although she hasn't, uh, she doesn't have the status that deserves how she is being treated, she's being treated beyond her status, and he's choosing to treat her with value that transcends where she is. That's what Christ does in our lives. The gospel elevates us, which brings us to our next point. Bring me to my next point. Well, I'm not there yet. Dang, thought I was there. Know what, know, what, know what God is doing here and affirming to her? He's restoring her dignity. Man, I tr I'm going to try to get past this part. Um, dignity is a huge issue in our society. Restoration of dignity. That's what he's doing here. He's restoring her dignity. Somebody say dignity. Dignity is God-ordained value that every person deserves because of God. Whether you're saved, unsaved, rich or poor, black, white, or any ethnicity, dignity. And what I love about the reality of him restoring her dignity is we can pull off of that. Because in our society, we have so many dignity issues, particularly among ethnic minorities today. And women, oh, am I by myself in here? I'm just wondering. Um, we, we have a lot of dignity issues with the poor, those seeking life after post-incarceration. We're in a culture where people are looking to figure out, do I matter? The reason why there are Hebrew Israelites the reason why there is Kemet, the reason why there is Ma'at, the reason why there is Pan-Africanism that first really started through Christianity, but that's a whole nother sermon, um, uh, or, or, or conscious Christian, or, I mean conscious movement, the reason why it's all of that among African-Americans in particular is because the church has not affirmed dignity of black people. I'm by myself. You can't enslave a people put black codes on them, put Jim Crow on them, and then create subform systems of incarceration and brokenness of educational systems, economic development. You can't tear down things and then put in laws that act like they're supposed to have dignity and wonder why folk are crazy and are seeking ways.
Why do you think all these women getting, these black women getting natural hair? They're trying to affirm themselves. What do you think? Black men have certain vernacular growing beards. Talking about this is my culture. They try, they're trying to find, I did The question on the floor is, does the church have the veracity to understand through the theological acumen of the scriptures that we're the best value system on the planet because God is the one that is the author of dignity? God's the author of dignity. That's what this whole situation in our culture is about. It's like, I see your dignity. Doris, and this is not being angry at our white brothers and sisters. Please don't receive that like that. Because I'm pastoring everybody, not just black people. But it's a disservice to our white siblings if we don't call it out. Because white supremacy impacts whites equally as much as it does blacks. Because to exalt your dignity above someone else is to substandardize your dignity. Oh, come on, somebody. Ain't nobody going to talk back to me. Oh, I wish I had time to just preach it all. But I'm just trying to let you know that dignity is an important thing that we need to begin to practically affirm. That's why we're here, family. See, what does that have to do with God hasn't forgotten about you? Everything. Because every inner city believes God has forgotten about them. And whenever somebody lacks dignity, they always create functional saviors to give a sense of dignity that only Jesus can give. And so that's why this is important is the church. Listen, if, 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 I mean, can you imagine the multi-ethnic community here? being a ferocious community of commitment that equally communicates dignity to all people equally, yet emphasizing it to those who have a dignity deficiency. Can you imagine 50 white folks standing on Broad and Cecil B as people are getting up off the sub and say, you matter, black man. You matter, black woman. I'm by myself. Know why you matter? It's because Christ died so you can matter. Matter of fact, before he died on the cross, you did matter. What would happen? What would happen? If, if, if we decided, see, 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 uh, uh, man, Lord help me. It, it, it's so, I, I got so much other stuff, but I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here because I think we have to own this. I think we have to own dignity. We see it in the text where he's affirming her dignity. And it does. When you affirm someone's dignity, they'll put down a gun. When you affirm someone's dignity, they'll put down drugs. When you affirm someone's dignity, they'll, they'll want to be educated. When you affirm someone's dignity, they'll walk different. They'll talk different. They'll think different. That's why he died. That's why he went in the grave. That's why he got up on the third day to give and restore dignity. Someone said that this is the social gospel. No, this is the gospel. 
How is it the gospel, Pastor Imago Day? You heard of that? Born in the image of God. It's defaced but not erased because of Adam's sin. Christ comes as the second and new greater Adam, not a reincarnation of the first Adam, uh, and comes to restore through his death and resurrection the dignity of everybody. Why is white supremacy wrong? Because white supremacy teaches that you are born with more dignity than everybody else. And we know that David said in Psalm 51, we were all conceived. At the moment you were conceived, black seed, white seed, yellow seed, red seed was conceived with Adam's sin. But then someone came 2,000 years ago and dropped red blood on the ground. It wasn't black blood. It wasn't white blood. It wasn't yellow blood. But it was the blood. <laughs> I'm going to just give the climax part of this and I'm done. She says, she goes home. I'm done. She goes home. I'm done. She goes home. <laughs> um, help me, God. She goes home. She's been made fruitful. <laughs> when God restores her dignity, she became fruitful. <sighs> she took home more than she should have. Uh, she told Naomi who she saw. And she says, that is one of our redeemers. <laughs> Naomi said, are you kidding me? Yeah. Out of all the places you could have fallen, God led you to the redeemer. When God is working on our lives to restore dignity, the only way for dignity to be restored is for us to be led to the Redeemer. I'm done. Father, maybe it's someone here today that doesn't know the Redeemer. The song says, my Redeemer lives. Job, in the midst of his brokenness, says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know the one who turns the tides of situations. He lives. Redeemed means to be taken and bought and rescued from something, someone or someplace. Jesus' death. Jesus' death rescues us from God's wrath. No matter what ethnicity you are, you need a rescue. You and I were born in sin. Separ that just means we're separated from God. Yet Christ came as the special ops team from heaven, a one-man rescue squad, to die on the cell tower of earth to restore the signal between God and man.
when he died on the cross, was raised from the grave, God's wrath was poured out on him so it wouldn't be poured out on us. He got it from the grave, signifying that it was accepted. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.